Okay, so tonight we are, uh, we are in the finale, the final week of this series entitled Summer Nights. Everyone go, aww. Yes, it's, uh, it's the final week of this series because, um, well, summer's over and you're back to school. Praise the Lord. God just hasn't called me to school, so I don't know if I'm going to go back. Um, you know, every week we've been tackling a different question in this series, and this week we're going to be tackling a question that I think every one of us can connect with, every one of us can relate to, and it's one that I think we've, we've all asked in some way, shape, or form. It's this question. Here it is. Uh, it's going to be on the screens for you note takers. Uh, it's, how do I respond to failure? How do I respond to failure? Because here's the reality. We have all failed, all of us, every single one of us. All of us have failed and we're going to continue to fail. Look at your neighbor, say, you have none of you ever heard Soldier Boy in your life. What's wrong with you? Turn to your other neighbor, the one you chose second. Tell him, you, Soldier Boy. Like that, you're gonna fail. You are, you are gonna fail. For me, I failed math a lot, all the time. I, 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 failed, I failed Spanish the first year that I took it. It's not the same as regular Spanish. I don't speak regular Spanish either, so that wouldn't have helped me. But like, you're gonna fail. Be encouraged. So imagine like this is the first night you ever brought a friend like there you're like he's usually not like this he's usually we're here to build you up not no it's not actually at all like a negative or a bad thing the reality is we're all in this together Devonte, come on boy sing it you don't know gangster's paradise but you know this that's the truth we are all in this together we have all failed and we're all going to continue to fail news flash to you christians who have been like you were in church before you were born like you was in church in your mother's womb and you came out and the worst thing that you've ever done in your whole life is steal a candy bar well that's failure and you're gonna fail more you're not perfect we're all in this together so how do we respond to failure. What do we do when we fail? Because if you're like me, you know some people who, um, who won't even step into church because of failure. Right? Like we all know these people, the people who tell you like, you're like, hey man, you should, you should come to church with me. You, you should really come to church. And they're like, oh no, not me. If I went to your church, it would probably burst into flames. I would have to wrap my feet in tinfoil so they wouldn't burn. And you're like, not really, you know, or, or like the, the people who, the people who constantly 100% like make excuses week in and week out and often the reason they're making excuses is because they think that their failure is what keeps them away from God and that's totally not the truth or the people who end up doing stuff like that. Like I've heard this so many times as a youth pastor. Someone who comes to church and then we say, you know, we have the moment at the altar call, at the salvation call at the end where they raise their hand and they accept Jesus. And then um, a little while later, you don't see him for a year. And I run into him at, at the mall. I'm like, hey, so like what happened? And, and they hit you with the, oh, um, I tried the God thing. It just didn't work out for me. AKA, I went to church. 
I got saved, but then I went back to those same parties and I made some mistakes and then they get convinced that because they made those same mistakes that they're now disqualified and like cut from the team. That's not how it works, guys. Like your failure doesn't cut you from the team. And then on top of the people who are like, I can't go to church because I'll, you know, I'll end up getting the whole place burnt down because I'm such a failure. Or the people who try out being Christian and think that failure cuts them from the team. On top of that, there's just a ton of Christians as well who love God and they love Jesus and they're walking this walk of faith. Yet they don't know how to respond to failure. Because the reality is, even if you love God, you love Jesus, you're still going to fail. So how do you respond to failure? Tonight, we're also going to be hitting sort of a second question that's really just um, a run-on question right after this. It's one that really piggybacks often on the back of failure. It's how can God love me? I think so many of us have struggled with this thought in the wake of failure, in the wake of shame and guilt. We've asked ourselves the question, how can God love me? Me. And so tonight we're going to be tackling these two questions. Hey, if you're a note taker, here's a, one of your favorite parts in the entire message. Sermon in a sentence. Here it is. When you fail, fail forward, falling into the loving arms of God. When you fail, fail forward and fall into the loving arms of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, God, and thank you that, that you are a loving God and your arms are continually in a position and a posture of openness and love, God. You are, you are never standing there, arms crossed, mad, pushing us aside or anything like that. You truly are a loving God. So tonight, I pray that we would learn some ways in how to fail well, that when we fail, that we could fail forward and we can fall into your loving arms. I pray, God, that we would experience your love tonight in a genuine way, in an authentic way, God. Thank you so much, God, that, that we can experience that tonight, God. Thank you so much, God, that, that your team, the Oakland Raiders, are already getting set up for success. And God, I pray that the Chargers wouldn't even win a single game. God, not even one. Not a single one, God. And like their Super Bowl record, they would end the season at zero. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. I went to a Raiders game on Saturday. It was in L.A. at, at the Rams Stadium. Yeah, so we lost. But, um, but I'll tell you this. We showed up and it was like 80% Raider Nation. The entire stands were black and silver. LA still belongs to the Raiders. They got, they got two teams in, in LA now. They've got the Rams and the Chargers. And still the Raiders take over every single game. Can't wait till week one when we play our actual squad and not just the backups. So we will see. We will see. Oh God, I'm not even gonna lie. The Rams look so good this year. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so I've been married for nine, nine years and some change. <laughs> to, the, to the hottie that came up and uh, did transition. And, and a little bit before we got married, uh, we were in this season of life where uh, we like both had like bucket cars. <laughs> they were terrible cars. I had a Mitsubishi Eclipse that looked like it was straight out of Fast and Furious, but also it would randomly puff white smoke out of the tailpipe. God knows why. <laughs> I have no clue. Didn't have the money to try to figure out why. And so one day, the car just 
just takes a poop on me and dies. And I have work in, like in two days. I was off the next day, but I had work the following day with no way to get to work. And so uh, my dad's friend is like, hey, I give you the homie hookup. I got this Jeep sitting in my backyard. I'll sell it to you for 500 bucks. All it needs is a, a fuel pump. And I was like, say what? I'll take that Jeep. What year is it? He said, it's an 89. It's like, that's the year I was born. <laughs> like, this car's as old as me. Like, what? And so I get it, and, and I go, and I pay the guy and everything, and then, like, I, 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 get it, um, I get it towed to the place to get the oil pump, and then I show up, and I'm picking up the car, and I get in the car, and I put the key in the ignition, and I look down, and there's this weird contraption over here called manual transmission. I'd never driven manual transmission before in my life. Like I said, my car looked like it was from Fast and Furious. That Mitsubishi Eclipse was automatic and super slow. Like, it was not a fast car. And I'd never driven stick before in my life. So I call my older brother that I knew could drive stick, and I tell him, hey, can you come get like, my car and like, bring it back? And so he does, and I'm like, dude, you have to teach me how to drive this thing like today, because I have work tomorrow, which means I have to drive this thing to work tomorrow. He's like, no sweat, I'm off work today, let's go. So we get in the car, he's showing me the basics. He's like, ease out on the gas, push into the clutch, shift the gear, and go back. And I'm like, Psh, easy, no problem. I am the type of guy that picks up on stuff very quickly. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but like I am fantastic at bowling, really good at ping pong, very good at foosball, air hockey, we won't talk about that, but I beat my wife about five years ago and haven't played her since, never will play her again. Like I, I, I usually catch on to things really quick, so when I don't catch on to things quick, I get really frustrated really fast. And so when I tell you like I was destroying this car's transmission because I was so horrible at driving stick, that is an understatement, people. It was terrible. It was a scene for everybody around. And like if you've ever been in a car where someone's like learning stick shift, it is a nightmare. The car is literally just and like it's horrible it is awful and I was the worst of the worst randomly from the backseat Amber's innocent voice said the most frustrating and pompous and prideful and arrogant and horrible thing that she could ever say in her entire life she said could I give it a try how dare you ask such a preposterous question. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, I'll just take a break. You go ahead. It'll help me feel better when you suck so bad that you can't even, like, come out of first gear. She says, okay, cool, yeah. So I get in the back seat. My brother kind of, like, gives her the rundown of what it looks like to drive stick. And then this woman is like Jeff Gordon all over the place driving like, no, Jeff Gordon's a NASCAR racer for those of you who are normal people and don't watch NASCAR. Um, you like, they're driving in circles, turning left over and over and over again. It's horrible. It's like, what do those guys do when they're on the actual street and they come to like a left-hand turn? They're just so mad, like, this is what I do for a living and now I'm off. And like, anyways, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I was so mad. You guys, like, I was so mad that my, at the time, girlfriend, was succeeding. The reason I was mad was because she was succeeding where I failed. Let's fast forward about six years, five, six years. We're married now. We had a Kia, Kia Rio for the first couple years of our, um, of our marriage. And 
that thing took a poop on us and we had to go get a new car. And so we go, we find a really good deal on a 2004, three uh, Volkswagen GTI, V-dub all the way. And, and here's the only issue. The only issue is that it was stick shift. And while I had been driving stick shift every day for years in my Jeep, Amber hadn't driven stick shift at all. And so I, I, I test drive the car. She couldn't even test drive the car. She was too nervous to get in there and drive stick. And so I test drive the car. I'm like, man, this car is actually really easy to, uh, to shift. It's really easy to drive. It's not like the tank of a Jeep that we had. That was an 89, like where the clutch was seriously like, like it was so hard to drive. Some of you guys just want to see me do that again. Here you go. Like, how is he not falling off the stage? I told you I catch on to stuff quickly. Anyways. Uh, like, it was super easy to drive in terms of comparison of the Jeep. And so I'm like, no worries, babe, I'll teach you, it'll be fine, it's so good. Can I tell you, this woman was horrible at driving stick in that GTI, so bad. One day we're getting on the freeway and she's like, she's got, so because she wasn't that good, she was hesitant to shift gear. So she would redline every gear and then shift, redline every gear and then shift. So she's in fourth gear, doing like 60 miles an hour on the on-ramp, getting ready to go to Fifth gear, so you got first, front, like upper left, then second, third, fourth, fifth, and yes, our car has a sixth. But going from fourth to fifth, she didn't go to the right and over, she just went up. So she went from fourth to third. And when you've already redlined fourth and you go into third, the car goes boom and redlines all the way up. She freaks out, panics. My wife's great at a lot of things. Panicky situations is not one of them. So what does she do? She floors it. She's just holding the gas on the floor and the car's like and I'm like, let go, let go of the gas, let go of the gas. She pushes in the clutch, puts it in neutral and just pulls slowly to the shoulder. She stops the car, pulls the e-brake and says, you're gonna have to drive me everywhere every day for the rest of our lives. Can I tell you? I was so happy. In that moment, I was like, you suck at driving stick. I hopped in the car and was like, bing, 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 bing. I was like, it's so easy, but it's so simple. Like, how could anybody not know how to drive this car? Like, why was I so stoked that she had failed? Because, well, she was all pompous and arrogant years before, acting like it was Jurassic Park up in that Jeep, like we're running from the T-Rex or something. And then all of a sudden later, when she failed, I was like, yes. Isn't this so true of like how we often will celebrate other people's failures? Or, or how about this? How about the fact that other people's failures actually kind of bring us comfort? Now, I'm not talking about in the sick and twisted way, like how I obviously struggle with. I'm talking about in the normal way. Like, can we just all like have comfort with this right now? Everybody fails. All of us. In fact, Romans 3.23, it says, for all. Have to, everyone say all. all. Say it with some attitude. Say all. all. Now pull out your phone and text your ex and say, that means you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> all have sinned and fall short. We all fall short. We all have failures. We all make mistakes. So how do we respond to those failures? Let's, uh, let's take some notes tonight from literally the first failure in history. The first time anybody ever failed, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse number 8 is where we're going to start. So it's Adam and Eve in the garden, 
And God creates this amazing paradise and creates all these different trees and this fruit and these veggies and all this stuff that they can eat. And he says, you can eat from every single tree in this whole place, just not that one right over there. And what do they do? Of course, of course, they go to the one tree that they are told not to eat from and they eat from that tree. Like, that would be every single one of us, let's be honest. Like, every single one of us would have made the same exact mistake. And then how do they respond to this mistake? Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse number 8. Here's what it says. Then the man, that's Adam, and his wife, that's Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Let's stop right there. Note takers, here's your first point tonight. How do you respond to failure? Number one, run to God, not from him. Run to God, not from him. The first thing Adam and Eve do, they run from God right away. They hide as if you could hide from God. Like, who remembers playing hide and seek when you were a kid? Now, where are all the people, let's just be honest, have, have a prideful moment. Who was like bomb at hide and seek? I'm not, I was, I'm not gonna lie. I was friggin' good. I was so good. Like, I never, ever got caught. Typically, it's because I cheated and my brothers and sisters would be like, hey, there's no going outside, you have to stay in the house. I would just sit on the porch. <laughs> and then like once everyone was found, I'd just sneak right inside the door and be like, ah, you guys never saw me. Like, I'm the best ever. <laughs> like, but no matter how good you are at hide and seek, God knows everything. Like, you're the one that looks stupid, like as if you're like, you know when you're in the curtains, but your like feet are like hanging out of the curtain. That's what you look like hiding from God. Like, and then trying to run from God? Like, God is everywhere, all at once, all the time, every day, always. Yeah, can't run from him. Don't run from God, don't hide from God, run to God. Here's why this is so important. When it comes to sin and failure, I promise it's gonna get better, but let me just tell you, you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough, and you're not good enough. You're not, you're not like all that great when it comes to like running away from sin. The reality is, is left to our own devices on our own, just like Adam and Eve, we will perpetually go in the wrong direction. This is why when we make a mistake, what we have to do is stop, turn, and run to God, not away from him. Because it's actually when we run to God with our mistakes, with our errors, with our wrongdoing, that he ends up giving us strength to go in the right direction. See, because we're not strong enough to do it on our own. When God set the standard, he set it so high that every one of us would look at the standard and go, nope, can't do that. And God goes, exactly, not in your own strength. But if you run to me, then I will give you strength. You ever feel like, man, I'm just not strong enough to conquer this struggle, to conquer this sin? You ever, how about this, you ever have a struggle and a failure where you're failing to forgive someone and you're like, I am just not strong enough to forgive them because they hurt me too bad. You're right, you're not strong enough. That's actually the point. The point is, is that you are not strong enough. And in your weakness, your weakness is the very thing that leads you to God, to say, God, I'm not strong enough, so would you help me? And God goes, yep. Absolutely. That's actually my plan throughout your entire failure is that you would come to the end of yourself and realize I can't do this by myself. God, would you walk with me? Would you help me? Would you give me strength? Amen. 
See, check this out. I, I love, I absolutely love this. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 10, it says, for Christ's, sakes, I, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. I, I, I can't understand people who go, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get stronger in my faith. I'm like, wow, yes, awesome. How? I'm going to take a break from church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get, I'm going to try to bulk up. I'm going to get real big. Some of you guys are like, no, you're not. <laughs> Freaking judge me. Watch. Say I won't. I'll be pushing 185 in two weeks. Not going to happen. Let's be honest. Not going to happen. But if you're like, I'm going to get really buff. How? I'm never going to go to the gym. Wait, what? That doesn't even make sense. Right? And yet in our weakness, what, what, like when you, when you fail, when you make a mistake, when you sin, where's the last place you feel like going? Church. Right? Like when you mess up, are you like, man, I messed up. Can't wait to go to church. No, you're like, man, I can't go to church. I just did this. I just did that. I'm, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, right. Us too. All of us, actually. That's actually kind of the point. It's so funny when people want to like try to gossip about the church or talk trash about the church. First of all, it's just free advertisement. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, it's just like people, they're like, oh my gosh, like you go you go to church, huh, but they're all hypocrites. And you're like, yeah, totally. There's room for one more. Come on. Like, we are all hypocrites. Yeah, because we are all failures. We're going to fail. It's going to happen. And we can, actually, we can actually take delight in our weaknesses because when we're weak, we're actually strong. Like, have you ever asked? Let's be honest. Christians are not very good at taking delight in their weakness. Right? Like, we're really, really good at sounding like we're super spiritual when actually, like, our entire world's falling apart and everything's terrible. Mom and dad might get a divorce. We don't know how the bills are going to get paid. We might get evicted. Our grades are plummeting so bad we are probably not going to graduate. And then we come to church and, like, that little old lady in the foyer is like, how you doing, sweetie? And you're like, oh, blessed with heaven's best. God is good. And she's like, all the time. And you're like, and all the time. And she's like, God is good. And you're like, yeah, actually everything's terrible, right? We are, we suck at taking delight in our weaknesses. We suck at being like, yep, I am we. Why can we take delight in our weaknesses? Well, because when we take delight in our weakness, what that means is we go, yeah, I am weak and I can't do this on my own, which does what? Again, it leads you to the arms of God. You know the one place where you will be in the strongest posture and strongest position than any other place in your life when you are in the arms of God. When you go to God and you say, oh man, I am not, I'm not strong enough. He goes, you're right. Can you give me strength, God? Yep and he gives it to you. But if you're over here trying to pretend like you have it all together, then you are not in a position or posture to receive God's strength. Therefore, it's actually when you admit your weakness that you become the strongest, amen? Because for Christ's sake, I take delight in my weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when you, when you admit that you can't, when you can't do it on your own. Here's the thing is that when you... Um, when you make mistakes, you'll, you'll really, when you fail, when you sin big time, you'll experience two things, that they sound the same, but they're polar opposites. It's called uh, conviction and condemnation. 
Conviction and condemnation. Conviction is from God, and conviction is this thing that helps you to realize you've made a mistake. It helps you realize that you have failed and that you've sinned. And so what conviction will always do is lead you to Jesus. It'll lead you to the Savior. Now, condemnation, though it's a word that sounds similar, it's the polar opposite. And actually what condemnation does is it always pulls you away from Jesus. Let me, let me, let me give you some examples. Let me elaborate. Condemnation is that thing where, where Wednesday night you come to youth and you're at the altar and, and we're singing Not Today and you're like, this is my jam. But I'm not going to lift my hands because over the weekend I went to that party that I knew I shouldn't have gone to. That's condemnation. It's pulling you away from God, getting you in a position where you refuse to worship God because you feel guilt and shame. Condemnation, another example would be at night when you lay your head down on your pillow and every night like you make it a point and I think it's a great thing. I think it's one of the traditions, one of the religious things, quote unquote, that I think is fantastic. That the last thing you do before you go to sleep is pray. You pray before you, you end your day by praying. But condemnation will lead you to a place where your head hits the pillow and you go, you know what? I'm not going to pray. Because how dare I pray when I was just on my phone looking at that's condemnation. Condemnation is the thing that pulls you further and further away from God. Condemnation is from the enemy. All you have to do is just push condemnation aside, take a hold of conviction, because conviction will bring you closer to Jesus. Why? Because conviction is you at the ocean with the waves hitting you going, lifeguard, like, help me. I can't do this. The riptide's going to pull me. If you've ever been a riptide, you know how terrifying that is. You start yelling for somebody to save you. That's what, con that's what conviction does. It puts you in a posture, in a position where you're like, I need help. God, would you save me? Yes, you can actually admit your weakness. Push aside the condemnation. Embrace conviction and pursue God. Amen? I'm going to take a drink of water. If you have water, get some. See the little bit drip right there? That's neither here nor there. Let's move on. Uh, let's read Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to man, where are you? Isn't that interesting? Like God knows everything, but then he asks, Adam, where are you? Why? Because really the thing that was happening is God knew where Adam was. God just wanted Adam to realize where he was. And so what happens is, in verse 10, uh, Adam answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. See, at this point in time, Adam and Eve, they were the only ones in the garden. It was just Adam, Eve, like a bunch of monkeys, and maybe a rhino, or I don't know what animals were there yet. But it was just Adam and Eve and a bunch of animals. And so they didn't even have an awareness that they were naked. But then they sinned, and they're like, oh, like, I don't know got to cover up. And so Adam's explanation to God was like, well, I saw you like on your way and you know, like I wasn't going to answer the door naked. So I, I was hiding from you, God. The second thing, don't cover it up. When you fail, don't cover it up. Now, please hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. Wear clothes or else we will kick you out and our security team might tase you. Let's be honest. Let's be real. You will get like, but your sin and your failure, don't cover it up. Shame causes us to cover up. Like, like, ladies, you are, in fact, so blessed in that you, when you have a fat pimple on your forehead, can just get some makeup and cover it up. By and large, us gentlemen are fresh out of luck, unless you're a dude that wears makeup, which I'm not going to lie. 
Once in a while, I will wear some foundation. Like, under these lights, it is what it is. When you do church news and your face is going to be 15 feet tall, you put on a little foundation to look prettier. That's neither here nor there. But what does, what does Adam and Eve do? Oh, man, just lost so much street cred. Any little bit of, like, street cred I would have had is now gone forever and ever. Like, if I ever am at the gym and, like, try to get tough with someone, Eli's going to be like, hey, buddy, you wearing foundation right now? Like, shut up, Eli. Nobody asked you. <laughs> what does shame cause you to do? The same thing it caused Adam and Eve to do. Cover up. And it's the same way when we, when we fail. Our, our initial instinct and our response is to cover it up. So like, like take it into the backyard of our lives and like dig a hole and bury it so no one will ever see it or know about it ever again. Don't cover it up. Here's the crazy thing. What did Adam and Eve, what did Adam and Eve use to cover up their, cover up their bodies? They used fig tree leaves, which is hilarious because fig leaves are kind of like poison ivy. Yeah, like it's bad. And, and fig, fig leaves actually, um, they'll actually cause rashes and breakouts and, and all this. They'll actually cause this certain um, skin reaction called phytophotodermatitis. I know, it sounds awesome, right? Here's, here's just what that looks like. I think we have a picture for you guys. That's what it looks like. Look at day three. So while staring at that, ask yourself, wait, so where did Adam and Eve put this? <laughs> yeah, so um, that's not smart. Like, don't do that. But this is what happens when you take matters into your own hands and you start trying to cover up. Because you know what shame will do? Shame will put you into a position where you feel desperate. And what do you do? The same thing Adam and Eve did. <gasps> Here comes God. And you grab the first thing you can to try to cover up. And what, what the thing is, what happens often is you reach and you grab something completely destructive. And then you bring it close. You, you, you bring it close. You fail and then you try to respond to your failure and like, and now your failure has brought you to a place where you feel lonelier than ever before. So you reach and you grab the first person you could get into a relationship with. And it's destructive. You start covering up in a way that when you took matters into your own hands, it was actually making matters worse. Don't bring close the things that are destructive. Check this out. James chapter 5, verse 16. I love this. It's so opposite to everything we know about the world and how we deal with failure. Confess your sins. We could pause there and like the majority of the room would check out already. Like confess myself. Nope. Like that's not happening. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that what? So that you may be healed. You know, something like, like, like phytophotodermatitis, what you have to do is you have to go to the doctor and get this special type of ointment for the itchiness to go away and for all those blisters to go away. And the ointment for this rash and this disease called shame, that ointment is called confession. That's the only thing that gets this, this, this rash called shame to go away, is confession. You confess your sins, and then what happens is that you have people pray with you 
and then you are healed. That is how that works. Let me ask you, have you perpetually struggled with the same thing over and over and over and over and over again? I talk to people so often, so many students who be like, Pastor Corey, I don't know what it is, but I've been struggling with the same thing over and over and over and over again. I'm like, wow, what is it? Well, I don't want to tell you. If you're struggling with the same thing and you can't seem to get past it, let me ask you, have you told somebody? Have you told somebody about it? Now I know that is polar opposite to what our instincts tell us. Our instincts tell us, cover this thing up. Nobody can know. No, not now, not ever. Never, ever can anybody ever know this thing that I did. But in God's word, in James, he actually says, the way that you'll be healed from it is when you go to someone and you confess, and then you pray together, and then you receive healing. That is how this works. Now let me just add on to this. You need to tell someone, you don't need to tell everyone. Even in this room, there's a lot of people that you don't have to, you don't, they have no business knowing your business, okay? They wouldn't be able to help you anyways. They'd be like, oh, wow, huh, here's some fig leaves, try these. Like, they have no, they will not help. But there are some people in this room that God's placed in your life that can be that James 5 person. You can say, wow, wow, man, I would, I would love to walk this journey with you and help you track through this failure. Let's pray together and believe that God is going to give you strength to be healed from that failure. Because what happens is that when you, take, when you take something that's done in the dark and you grab it and you drag it into the light, it loses power over you. It loses What's brought into the light will lose power over you. Don't let it stay in the dark. Don't let it stay in the shadow. Don't let it stay in the secret. In fact, maybe you need to find somebody tonight and just tell them, hey, can we go to the side room, close the door? I want to I wanna tell you what I've been struggling with. And you confess and you open up and then they pray for you and you see that all of a sudden this, this, this weight comes falling off your shoulder. I'll tell you this, there is not a single leader in this room that you would go and you would, you would confess and you would open up to and they'd go, oh, my gosh, you sinner. What you need to do, go get your life right, come talk to me next month because I'll tell you what, you are not welcome to, no, they'd be like, wow, I've failed too. We are all in this together. Let me walk with you. Can I pray with you? Let's walk this out together. You need to tell someone. Last part under how do you respond to failure. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, and he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? How did you, how did you guys figure that out? You had no idea before. I was over here yesterday and you all were naked and you didn't care nothing about it. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Again, God asking questions he already has the answers to because he doesn't want them. He doesn't want, he, it's not that he doesn't have the answers. He wants Adam and Eve to realize the place and the position that they are now in. He says, did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, check this out, check this out. The man said, the woman, guys, pause. No, don't do that. Never, not now, not at the beginning of creation, not 2,000 years ago, not 200 years ago, not two minutes ago, not now, not two minutes from now, not 2,000 years from now. Never, ever, 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 ever is it a good idea to say, hey, the woman, like, nope, <laughs> bad move, guys. Don't do that ever. You're welcome. The woman, here's the next big part. 
God's like, did you eat from the tree? He's like, God, here's the deal. The, the woman that you gave me, did he just blame woman and God for his mistake? Typical man. <laughs> Typical dude. All the ladies said, amen. <laughs> Let's go on. He says, he says uh, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? Then the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate of it. This is what we call the classic blame game. So, so, so here's the, I, I, was at the, I was at the park with my niece and nephew. Who's got, who, does anybody have nieces and nephews? Little, does anybody have baby brothers, baby sisters, baby cousins? So it's like, there's just something about family, right? That you're like, this is, ha, ah, this is my niece and nephew. Like, you do anything to them, I will, I'll punch you right in the face. I don't care. Like, and, and, I, and we, were at the, we were at the park, right? I was, I was at the park, and my, uh, my baby-ist, my baby-ist uh, nephew had been born, so I was watching uh, my niece, Addie, and my nephew, Liam, and we were at the park, and Amber was at a Paramore show because she prioritizes music over family. And, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, but seriously, I was supposed to be at that concert, and I'm still bitter about it. Dang it. Riker, why did you have, why did you have to be born on that day? You couldn't have waited, like, 12 more hours. Josie got to go. I'm all bent out of shape about it still regardless. So I was at the park with my niece and nephew, and I'm letting them play, or play around, and I'm an uncle, right? So like standard, you load them with ice cream and chocolate and candy. Give them all the ice cream and chocolate candy, everything else. So they are pretty high sprung. They're just running in circles for no reason. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, ah, Sour Patch Kids! Like, ah! And so Addie runs to the swings, and so I'm like, okay, we're going to the swings now. It's on the other side of the, like, the park structure thing. What are those called? No, come on, guys. It's making, it's like monkey bars and all the contraptions. Jungle gym, thank you. Jungle gym. I knew there was, I knew there was a word for it. I knew it. Uh, they, it was on the other side of the jungle gym, so then I can't really see over there. I, had, I started following, started following Addie to the swings, and Liam's about halfway between me and Addie, so Addie jumps on the swing. She starts swinging, and so like I'm walking over there, and, and I see, I see uh, Liam, we call him Bubbies, I see Bubbies like just kind of running over, and I see this kid swinging, like, and he's probably 10 or so, so he's getting some height and stuff, and I see Bubbies going in that direction, and like, you know, I kind of do the calculations in my head, and I'm like, the current path of trajectory is going to cause a collision. But, you know, Bubby's, he's not, he's like, he's aware decently. I think he'll be okay. He'll just go around. And so I kind of look back and I hear, and Addie go, yes. and then Bubby starts crying. And I come over and I'm going, and the kid's just slowly coming to a stop as I'm approaching. I'm like, what happened? And the kid's like, he just walked right in front of me. And I was like, and I wanted to say, you idiot. But I didn't because I'm a pastor and a Christian and love Jesus. So I just thought it. I didn't say it. I grabbed him. I just gave the kid a dirty look and I walked over. I was like, dang it. And so and then Bubbies is over here crying. And, and then so I'm pushing Addie on the swing. Like, suck it up, kid. Like, you just got kicked in the face. Like, it is what it is, man. Man up. And so I'm pushing Adeline. And so she's like, higher, higher. So I do the thing. You know, you go in front of the swing and you grab their feet and, like, launch them down. They're like, yo, you guys don't do that to your baby niece. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I'm doing that. Like, Josh, if you're watching online, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my older brother whose kids these belong to. <laughs> so, 
So I'm like swinging her and stuff, and Bubby's is starting to get better, and he, and he gets up, and, um, and as, as I swing, as I swing Addy backwards, I see Bubby's just kind of like, doo -doo -doo. and I'm like, who? And I just push him backwards, and the swing goes, whoop, and just barely misses him. In that moment, I realized two things. One, Liam is completely unaware of his surroundings at all times. And two, I got really mad at a kid when it wasn't his fault, it was Bubby's fault. Isn't it funny how so often we're super quick to go, huh? and just point out someone else and blame them. And I actually blame the wrong person in this moment and realizing it moments later. Don't play the blame game. Isn't it funny how Adam and Eve, right away, Eve's just like, Satan, it's Satan's fault. How typical. Like, this is typical Christian narrative. They, 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 they mess up, they fail, and they're like, huh, Satan. It's running rampant. It's coming at me all day, every day. And then, and then Adam is like, oh, it's the woman's fault. So blame her. Like, walking around in these miniskirts, it's all her fault. Like, and well, I can't blame, can't blame the woman. All right, God, I guess it's your fault because I don't know, you sent her here. And like, we always seem to blame everybody and never take responsibility. Can, can I tell you, stop, stop playing the blame game. If you're taking notes, write that down. Don't play the blame game. Because if we continually try to blame others for our mistakes and our failure, we will end up getting stuck in failure. If you always blame someone for your failure, you'll end up getting stuck in failure, convincing ourselves everyone else is to blame. We blame people. Oh, well, you know what? Yeah, like, yeah, I, I've been partying and I've been drinking, but you know what? Like, like, my parents do the same thing. It's just the family that I come from. Oh, well, yeah, yeah but you know what? It's just the culture that we live in. Like, I, I try really hard to be better, but it's just the culture that I live in. Don't blame me, blame culture. Oh, well, here's the thing. It's like my boyfriend, he was just so convincing. Oh, my girlfriend, she said she was going to leave me. So, and we try to blame people. You can't blame people. for. At some point in time, you've got to take ownership. At some point in time, if you come from a screwed up family, can I tell you, you at some point in time just have to make the decision on whether or not you are going to rise above your circumstances. It's up to you. But that's never gonna happen if you keep trying to, oh, it's my parents' fault, and you know, there's grandparents really too, and I guess probably great-grandparents and all that. First Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I'm gonna say that again. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, beyond what you in your strength can endure. Now wait, I thought that we were not strong enough. You're right, we're not. In fact, what this is saying is that God will give you the strength to bear it. And that's how it ends. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. See, this is why your past doesn't have to dictate your future. Who you were doesn't have to dictate who you're gonna be. Or often we, we blame Satan. The devil's just out to get me. He's, he's just tripping me up. You know how much power Satan has over you? However much you give him. However much you, if, if you're a born-again believer, you, you have God now living on the inside of you. You know how much, you know how much power he has over you, however much you give him. Check out this verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. 
This is Jesus talking. He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Let's just add spiders to the list. Amen. And to what? To overcome all of the power of the enemy. See, you have power over the enemy, not the other way around. Any power that he, check this out. In, this isn't even in my notes. This is a freebie. When you're in Genesis, which is the beginning of the Bible, we just read this. Satan appears to Adam and Eve as what? A serpent. A little slithery snake. In, in Revelation, if you've ever read Revelation, which is uh, a lot of events that haven't happened yet, how, like, what, is, what does Satan appear as? What is he displayed as? A gigantic dragon. How did Satan go from a tiny little slivery snake to a gigantic, powerful dragon? God didn't give him more power. God didn't give him more authority. The only authority and power he has over us is the authority and the power that we give to him. So why don't we just stop giving it to him and do what Jesus told us to do? Just trample on him. Because he calls it just, oh, like a, you know, little, little snake or little scorpion. Now, let me just preface this by saying, if it was an actual snake or scorpion, I'm just running, running as fast as I can in the opposite direction, yelling for Amber to help me. Like, that's going to be the narrative of that story. But the spiritual one, like, it is this tiny little, like, that is it. Why don't we just start doing that and stop blaming Satan? Like, oh yeah, you're to blame for my failure. And then what happens is that people realize, oh, I can't blame others for my mistakes, and now I can't blame Satan for my mistakes. So they get themselves in really dangerous waters, and they start blaming God. And then they start, here's the thing, though, is that Christians will never just come out and just straight up just blame God. Like, God, you're to blame. They'll like kind of, um, they'll kind of, you, you know the chocolate chocolate-covered strawberries. Like, you ever see them make those? Like, it's fascinating. They just take it and they boop, and it comes out and it's all like chocolate-covered and stuff. Like, I feel like that's what, yeah, it doesn't make that noise. Boop, I'm like, I don't know where that noise came from. Like, like, that's like what we do with like blaming God. We just like boop, and we just dip it in the chocolate. And we say, oh, you see, I'm just in a season of temptation. Well, God, God is just, he's testing me. Nope, not true. God does not tempt you. Check this out. This is his word, and we know that God does not go back on his word. James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So if ever you have temptation in front of you and you're thinking, wow, this must be a test from God, eh, wrong. Like, that's not the case. It is what we have on the, like, deep inside of us. It's a perpetual, like, nature for sin. We're born into it. And left to our own devices, we'll do the same thing Adam and Eve did. Run in that direction after sin and failure every single time. So no, God is not testing you. You can't blame Satan. You can't blame people. You can't blame God. We really are the only ones to blame for our failure. And now, can I tell you, no, this is not me beating anybody up. This is us saying we are all in this together. Can we just together say yes, I have failed. I have messed up, and it's my fault. I'm not going to blame nobody else, nothing like that. I'm just going to run into the arms of Jesus and see what he will do with my story and my life. Because here's what then happens. Today's failures become tomorrow's victories. All, all of a sudden, the things you were covering up, today's secrets can become a sermon that you preach tomorrow. 
Today's mistakes can be a message that you put together. All of a sudden, today's breakdowns become tomorrow's breakthroughs. But only if you say, yeah, me, no one else to blame, so God, would you help me? God, would you help me? And what happens is that you end up getting to a place where you can praise God through all of this. Check this out. Uh, 1 John 1, 9. I'm coming to an end here. Band, if you guys can start heading up, we're going to land this thing. 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess, everyone shout confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Our sins, ours. That is a word that implies ownership and responsibility. We just have to come take responsibility. And you can't confess with like a but on the end. Yeah, I went to that party and, uh, you know, I drank and, and I did all that. But, man, if my friends never picked me up, then I wouldn't have. You can't confess and add a, a but on the end. It doesn't work that way. This means, the, 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 word, the word here for confess um, is, is a, it's actually a Greek word, and the Greek word is homologio. Homologio. It's really fun to say. Go ahead and say it. Oh, man. I hate you guys. Like, it took me 30 minutes to be able to say that. You just said, anyways. Homologio. And this word means to profess, to acknowledge, to promise, to declare. But here's the interesting thing about, about the word homologio. Homologio also means to praise and celebrate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, 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 wait. Confess your sins and God will be just. He will forgive you. Confess your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but typically I don't like picture confessing sins as like pom-poms. Like, yes, I've messed up. Woo, let's celebrate good times. Come on. No. Like, usually confession is like in the Christian world. If you're new to the Christian world, it's like, hey, you better be like on your knees at the altar with a lot of tears. (laughs) You better feel really bad for what you've done, and guilt better overtake your entire life in that moment of confession. But that's actually not what this word means. It actually means a moment of confessing, and in the same exact moment that you're confessing, I'm not enough, it's a moment of praise and celebration because you're saying, God, even though I'm not enough, you are. And it's this moment where you're like, and that's okay. You don't have to deal with your, your failure as like, oh my gosh, like my life is over and it's so terrible and I'm so sad and this is the worst and I'm riddled with shame and guilt. No, it can be like, God, and even when I'm not good enough, you are. Even when I mess up, you never do. And God, it's so amazing that every time I've ever messed up, you've just been standing there like this. Come on, come back home. I love you so much. God, you've never been standing there like arms crossed, mad at me. So you don't play the blame game, God. I just, I have messed up and actually this is, this is a really cool moment because I can praise and celebrate because my mistakes is actually the things that led me into your arms. And so, wow, God, you even use that, yes, you even uses that. When you fail, fail forward and fall into the loving arms of God. 
as we close tonight, I want to answer that second question. How can God love me? It seems like so often when we fail, we're faced with that question. How can God love me? First John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. How can God love you? How can God love me? It's because God doesn't just show love. God is love. Let me put it like this. God can love you no matter who you are because it's who he is. Let me say it like this. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters who he is. God literally is the definition of love. God created love. He invented love. He, all by himself, with no help from anybody else, actually thought up the concept of love because it's at the center of who he is. And then he created it. He is love. And so he literally, you as his child, he can't even help himself. He literally can't contain himself. He just loves you that much. So there's no failure, there's nothing. Go, 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 Google, go Google Bible verses about God's love and you'll find ones that say nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing, absolutely nothing ever could separate you from God's love. Why? Because it's who he is. Here's the thing that you need to know in the midst of shame and all of this. In the midst of shame, shame will get you to try to run in the other direction. But God's so loving. This is how loving God is. That though Satan knows your name, he calls you by your sin. But God knows your sin and he calls you by your name. Say that again. Satan, he knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. And you know this and I know this. You've felt it all the time. So have I. Failure. Screw up. Ain't going to be any better than your dad. Can be any better than your mom. All you are is that you're, you're drunk just like them. You're, you already are a drunk. And Satan just calls you by your sin. But God knows all that sin. And he calls you actually by your name, your personal name. He knows you that personally. So when you fail, do what the prodigal son did. What did the prodigal son do? He ran back home to dad. Now there's one thing I want to point out about this. If you don't know the story of the prodigal son, it's, it's, a, it's a parable, it's a story, a metaphor that Jesus told about this young boy young boy, he, he just came in to being a man, and, and he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance, a.k.a. <clears throat> I wish you were dead, and I'd rather have your money than for you to be alive here with me. Brokenhearted, his dad gives him the money and says, okay, son, you're free to go. He goes, he wastes all the money, all of it. All of it. He has no more money. He's starving. He's literally sleeping with pigs, wanting to eat the pig's food, and no one will give him any food to eat that pig's food. No one will say, you better not touch that pig's food. That's for the pigs. You're getting paid to just watch over the pigs. And in that moment, when he has nothing left, nothing at all, he decides he's going to go back home to dad. But what was the motivating factor? I want you guys to check this out. Luke chapter 15, verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, some people will be like, see, man, this is repentance. That's what this is. He felt bad. He realized he betrayed his dad. He realized he messed up. And now coming to his senses, nope, that's not the case. He came to his senses and said what? How many of my father's hired servants have food? Have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. I'll set home. I'll set my path home. I'll go see my dad. I'll go get that what? Food. 
He was hungry. That was his motivating factor. Time out. That's when he went back home? So you're trying to tell me that this story that Jesus told is about a young man whose heart was not even in the right place, yet went home to dad. And you know how dad responds to him? He chases him down, he throws his arms around him, he puts a ring on his finger and says, you're my son, and accepts and embraces him. So many people are waiting around, and so many Christians will tell you, oh, the thing is, God sees the heart. So before you come to him, you better get your heart right. Can I tell you, your job is to not get your heart in the right place. Your job is to get your life into the arms of God, into the arms of the Father, because that's the place where your heart will change. You don't gotta get your life together. You don't gotta get your heart. That's how much God loves you and I. So much so that the last thing that happens in this story with Adam and Eve is something really interesting. Look at this, last verse we're gonna read tonight. Closing up, I promise. We're landing this thing, it's coming to an end. We're gonna be worshiping and out of here before you know it. Verse 21 of Genesis chapter three. This is, this is like the, the conclusion of this entire story. So interesting. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and he clothed them. The conclusion of the first failure that ever happened in history is concluded with God getting them new clothes. But you remember what Adam and Eve did to try to cover up in their shame? They made clothes. Doing what? In their failure, they failed in their response to failure. And what they did was they actually just stacked failure on top of failure and taking matters into their own hands. They just made it worse. And through that whole process, they start blaming each other. It's Eve's fault. No, it's Adam's fault. No, it's God's fault. No, it's Satan's fault. And all this is happening. And God's like, man, guys, let's just take these freaking figs off because you are going to be so itchy. Here's some new coverings because you actually went about things horribly and you just made matters worse. And now I'm going to cover you in a greater way, which is a parallel of Christ's blood covering us, Christ's sacrifice covering us. That even when you stack failure on top of failure and you've taken matters into your own hands, God comes around and says, let's get rid of all that stuff. Let me give you new clothes. Let me give you a new covering. Covering where you don't have to hide anymore. It's the place where you run into God's arms and like the day at the park where we got home and, and you know what happened? Addie was in the back seat, niece, Bubbies wasn't asleep, couldn't let him go to sleep, he could have, maybe had a concussion. But I, I, Addie was in the back seat. I was like, Addie, wake up. Just wake up, she said, oh, no, Uncle Corey, I'm tired. She said, Corey, will you carry me? I said, yep. <laughs> so I went in the back seat and I grabbed Addie. She's like, I'm just too tired. I'm too weak. Can I tell you, I've ne I'm not a dad, I'm an uncle, but I've never felt more like a father than in that moment. And she said, I just can't, I can't even take myself in the house. Can I tell you tonight, if you allow him, the very weakness and your tiredness and your failure will be the thing that brings you and God closer than ever before when you allow Him to carry you in His arms. So when you fail, just fail forward and fall in 
to the arms of our loving God. Amen. Hey, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes right now? Maybe you've never had a moment where you said, God, I'm going to run into your arms. God, I'm too weak. I, I can't go on by myself. I can't do this on my own. You're going to have that opportunity right here, right now. In this place, if that's you, and you would say, you know what, Pastor Corey, I'm done blaming everybody else. I've failed. I've messed up. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I want to be forgiven. I want God's arms to wrap around me and for him to carry me right here, right now. I want him to take all of my sin. I want him to take all of my mistakes and all my failures. I want to run to God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you not to physically run to him right now in this moment, but metaphorically, the way in which you'll respond is in a moment, I'm going to count to three. I just want you to shoot your hand in the air when I get to three. And I just ask you to do that because I really do believe when we respond on the outside to what God's doing on the inside, it will solidify it in our hearts and in our lives. So if that's you, if you're like, I'm too weak to go on, if you are like my niece sitting in the back seat saying, I can't, would you carry me, God? If that's you and you want to give your life to God, you want his arms around you tonight, when I get to three, you just raise your hand. One, tonight's your night. Two, don't hesitate. Three, all over this place, go. Anybody else? Man, hands are going up everywhere. Like, God, I, I'm too weak. I can't. Would you give me your strength, God? Would you take my sin? Would you take the failure? Would you take all of that, God? Would you wrap me in your arms right here, right now? Let me tell you, young person, God's arms are open. They're not closed. He's not standing there with his arms crossed right here, right now. He'll receive you. He'll accept you. He'll embrace you as his child, because that's what you are. You're a child of God. Amazing. You can put your hands down. The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and that he rose from the dead, and you'll be saved. So that's what we're going to do. Since we're a family, we're going to pray as a family. Everyone, whether you raise your hand or not, would you repeat these simple words right after me? Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a savior. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins, but you rose from the dead. So tonight... I run into your arms. Tonight, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you everything. Would you carry me? I am weak. Would you make me strong so I can follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Can we welcome people into our family right now? Can we just take a moment for these next few minutes to respond to God and his love and worship all over this place? Would you stand to your feet? Just quietly head to the front. And let's worship God tonight. Let's receive his love. Let's take a moment to let what we've heard sink in and connect with our God through song right here, right now.